Why is your entrance always better than mine? Because I have a bunch of atoms inside of me. Hmm. And hydrogen. And I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well. You do. Boy, did you see that new tech Johnny gave us? Yeah. I wondered what you're thinking Spinning in there. Spinning <laughs> magnet levitation. Yeah. You know, that's the first time I heard about that. What did you do? What did you invent? I did invent something. I know. To do with it. <laughs> Can't help it. You know, know, an inventioneer is always looking for a new discovery of a phenomena or something that happens in the universe, in nature, and then we try to figure out what to do with it. I hope a lot of you are saying, okay, so now we know how to spin a magnet and make one levitate. What can we do with that? Now, I have an experiment that I've been doing for the last two years where I take bismuth, mm -hmm. which is a metal that melts at a low temperature, and when it, when it cools and crystallizes, it gets all those beautiful colors, beautiful. the electric colors, but it can be used to make a small magnet levitate, mm -hmm. as you've seen I've been doing in Area 51. Yeah but you can only get it to levitate just a teeny, teeny bit. This, this is pretty neat. Yes. Did you figure out while he was showing it how it works? Why does it levitate? And if you're really going to use these new discoveries, you have to kind of try and figure out why it works so you can then optimize it, make it work better. Did you catch how it works? I figured out you were figuring it out. What about that? <laughs> well, I may be wrong. They obviously have studied it enough because John said they actually have worked out the formulas, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But uh, when they showed that picture at the end, remember they have the spinning magnet, mm -hmm. and then they have the one that, the floater, they called it, yeah. okay? They showed the magnetic polarity of the spinner and of the floater. Well, the spinner is spinning, but the north-south pole is spinning horizontally. So when you attach it to the spinner to the motor, it's got to be turned the right way so the north-south pole is spinning around and around. And then the floater is down here, and it's going to be pulled up. If So the north pole is up. It probably could work north or south pole either way, but one or the other. The north pole's up, and up here on top you have the north pole going around. And as the North Pole goes around, it's pulling it up, and then the South Pole comes around and pushes it down. And if you get it just at the right speed for the weight, it levitates at that distance. It is really a neat thing. We should inventioneer something to do that. I think that is a sterling idea for a science fair project. So if you've got a little drill or an electric screwdriver, and a little bit of epoxy, you epoxy a couple 50 cent magnets on there, you can do that. And then what can you use it for? There've gotta be some really, really handy things. Now my first idea of what I wanna invent with that, I probably shouldn't tell. <laughs> I was wondering if you Because I haven't us. patented it, but it, it's just funny because we were talking about, John says the difference between a scientist and a magician is that a scientist tells you how he does it? And you're both, right? And I was thinking, whoa, <laughs> could I do some magic with that? <laughs> could I? And I also thought that with that little spinning magnet, you know, you build it into a gizmo, mm -hmm. it could make some amazing art. 
Oh. Have you heard of Kinetic Art? I love Kinetic Art. She is a fan for Kinetic Art. I could sell this to her. (laughs) (laughs) Big money, big money. She loves Kinetic Art is art where something moves. And I just think you can make something real neat. So thank you, Dr. John. Appreciate knowing about that. So you invented a magic trick? Yeah, I you're gonna have to wait till I get it perfected and build it. (laughs) But that that could be the great makings of a great magic trick. Okay. And I'm just a little bit, okay, I'm really ashamed of how much time I spend inventing magic tricks. <laughs> if, if I spent that time working at 7-Eleven, running the cash register, oh I'd be rich, or, or quick trip. <laughs> okay. or even uh, yeah, but it's, it's just fun because with magic, you try to take some phenomena mm-hmm. And, and to me, my science is all about engineering and, and, and science. Uh, in my magic life, I have had a few mentors. And one of the first one was a guy that started the Magic Castle in Hollywood. Yeah. And I'll bet you know what his name is. I do. What is it? Bill Larson, Jr. Bill Larson. Bill Larson started this... Magic Castle mm-hmm. on Franklin Street in Hollywood, and it was dedicated to the magical arts or the arts of performing magic. And early in college, I uh, found that I could get a job and work lots and lots and lots of hours, or I could develop the ability to perform magical illusions. And in one or two hours on the weekend, I could earn just as much. So I started doing magic shows. And I did them for birthday parties and other kinds of things. But then um, one, one summer during school vacation while I was at the university, I took a trip to Los Angeles where I had two or three, actually I think I had four shows lined up of larger groups, and so I took a band full of, uh, a band that was very hard to get started, by the way, but <laughs> Claire full of these big props that I built and went down and did a, a show, and while I was there, someone said, oh, you've gotta go by and, and visit the Magic Castle. I'd never heard of it. So I, one day, tracked it down, went up there, and it was the middle of the day, knocked on the door. They're open in the evening on weekdays, but someone came and I said, I'm here to, uh, uh, because I'm a magician. And I was eventually ushered in and met the president and the co-founder who happened to be uh, a, a very good magician himself. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he asked me about myself and he was sitting at the desk uh, in his office and I was sitting in a chair talking to him and he asked me if I'd like to perform at the castle. Well, yeah, I love magic. I, I, it was such a unique place. I mean, when you get there, you get out of your car, and they had you know, parking that would take your car for you, make it disappear. Yeah. <laughs> but then you walk in the front door of the magic castle, and you come into this little teeny room, and it's got books all the way around. And there's a little teeny desk where the receptionist greeted, what's your name and what makes you think you get to come in here and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And as soon as you get through the person at the desk, they say, okay, go on in. 
So you turn around, but there's no door. There's just bookshelves, clear full of books. And on one of the shelves, there's a little owl. And the owl has these little eyes, you know, like owls do to them. And, and so you go over to the owl and you say, open sesame. And the eyes light up and the whole bookshelf moves back. And then you go in. So I was loving this place. I mean, <laughs> wow. But when I got inside with Bill Larson, he had a, a paperweight. It was kind of like an egg cut off, made out of rock. And he picked up his paperweight and he threw it to me. He said, make that disappear. And I, oh, he's testing me. You know, an egg's kind of hard just to make it disappear. But I had been practicing how to make little objects disappear, you know, so I could earn some money on weekends. So I made it disappear. And he said, okay, you've got an addition. Come in tonight, and uh, we're going to put you in the Grand Palace, which was their they have three places they do magic in the Magic Castle. The Grand Palace is a big stage with curtains and everything and a big group of chairs. It's kind of neat. And then they have the Salon of Prestidigitation. And that's like a small theater. And it's not a big stage, but it's a place there. And it, it can maybe hold, you know, I'd say 50 people if you repack them full. And then they had the close-up magic area that would hold about 12 people, and people right there where they can touch everything. Well, I was invited to go in the Grand Palace. So I went in the Grand Palace and uh, performed my illusions. Now, my illusions were all homemade. And you know why they were all homemade? Why? Because I couldn't afford the real ones. <laughs> I mean, I had to make them. Magic tricks, good ones, are really expensive. So I made my own. And um, when you make your own, sometimes you make mistakes. And the mistake I made is I didn't go find out how they're supposed to work. I invented how they worked. And I did it because I didn't know where to go. Well, anyway, that turned out to be really interesting because in the audience, they had a few movie stars, but they had a whole slug of magicians. And they're all sitting there looking at me. And I found that magicians really like to watch each other perform. They know how they do it. Oh, I've got that trick, you know. Lincoln rings, I've been doing that for years. They know how you do it, and so they watch to see how well you perform it. Only in mine, I performed it wrong because mine didn't work the way they expected. <laughs> and it's amazing how many of them do it in a very similar way. So I started doing my tricks. And these magicians started to be really, really, really interested. Then I got to my finale. My finale illusion, the trunk trick. And this was a trick that I had worked on. And I, I designed the trick. And this is one that I copied from another magician's invention. And who would I copy but Mr. Houdini, Harry Houdini himself. And he had a trunk illusion that was just amazing. And so I built this same trick, and I, I tried to figure out how he did things, because I didn't have any personal communication with him. <laughs> uh, 
but uh, I made it. And, and the trick goes like this. You, you go out on stage, and uh, you open a trunk, which is sitting there on the floor, and then you get an assistant, and you ask your assistant if she would please climb in this big bag. It's like a big, giant marble bag. She climbs in, and on top, you tie a knot with the, the rope that draws it together like a marble bag. Then you put it inside the trunk, and then you put chains around it and lock them with padlocks. And then the magician climbs up on top of the trunk and holds up a big loop with a cloth hanging down and says, one, two, and then he raises it three and drops the ring, and it falls down. And as the ring falls down, the magician has disappeared, but the girl is standing there. And she opens the trunk, and inside the bag is the magician. Okay. Okay, that's my trick. And I'm, actually, it's Houdini's trick done by me. Well, I went on a series of performances of this trick before I went to California. And I uh, actually went on a magic tour with the university, and we were performing at different schools. And when these kids would see this, remember, this is just a couple years after the first man landed on the moon. And compared to a guy walking on the moon, my trick was pretty boring. <laughs> <laughs> and it moved so slow, it took 15 minutes to perform. Oh. And, then just, and so I realized one day on the bus riding to the next school, I've got to do something else. Now, my trunk, yeah, it had a trap door. Trunk would lift up, and i come crawling out, and she'd crawl in. It was, it was quite a deal. No wonder it took a while. But it just didn't impress anybody. So on the bus, I reinvented it. Instead of doing it Houdini's way, I decided to do it my way. We got to the next school. I told my assistant, Tanya, just happens to be here. I say, hey, Tanya, say, hi. look, she's in her costume. Can, 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 can we get her on? Come up here, yeah. Come on up here, Tanya. Oh, there she is. There you can wave right there now. Okay, wait. That's my lovely assistant that everybody loves. One more wave. Oh, that's good. Yeah. All right, thank you, Tanya. And uh, Tanya is a, a wonderful assistant. And some of you new magicians that are just starting out are wondering how you get an assistant like that. You marry him. <laughs> How many years have you been married? She's been, she's been married longer than I have. <laughs> yeah, we, we have had a lot of fun, haven't we? Is this story true? Uh-huh. Yeah, this is true. Okay, good. But anyway, so driving on the bus, we, we changed the whole trick. We changed how, how it went, how fast it went, and, and we changed the trick of the trick. And we had some things in there that we'd made to make it be kind of magical, and we just changed how we were gonna use them. I'd like to show you Dr. R, who wasn't a doctor yet, and his lovely assistant, and the trunk. <laughs> yeah, there it is. And you notice who's inside the trunk. <laughs> Yeah, she was wonderful. Any rate, so we went to the next school where we performed the trick, and I thought, oh boy, here we're gonna try this out. This is really, oh, I hope this works, because we really only 
rehearsed it for about five minutes before the show, <laughs> and we went in there, and now it went about in a whole different way. This time, at the school, I borrowed a serving cart, you know, like they have in the cafeteria, and we set the trunk up on top of the serving cart. And when I got ready, I came rolling the trunk out on the stage, and then I opened the trunk, and I invited some volunteers to come up from the audience. So they would come up, and I asked them, could you please inspect the trunk? Look inside, see if you can find any trap doors or anything. One guy said, I think I can see a trap door. As a matter of fact, it was <laughs> from the old version of the illusion. Well, don't worry about it. <laughs> anyway, so then I, I had them stand behind the trunk, around it, and I closed the trunk, and I said, now the magic begins. And I had a magic wand, and I take the magic wand, and I lowered it slowly at the trunk. And while I lowered it, the trunk started to vibrate back and forth, back and forth. And I threw it open, and out would come Tanya. <laughs> they liked that. <laughs> now, the mechanism of how we did that was not as cool and neat as <laughs> because we invented it driving down the road in a bus. <laughs> but it was there, and it worked, and they loved it. And so we did it, and did it, and did it, and everybody loved it, until we got to the Magic Castle. And I thought, do we dare show this to these professional magicians? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we are very daring. We didn't know any better than not daring. So we got to the end of our little show, and I rolled out the trunk, and I opened the lid, had volunteers come up, they looked at it, they examined it, they reached inside, hit the sides and things. I had them stand in the corners, I closed the trunk, lowered my wand, it started vibrating. Now when I opened the trunk, Tanya was inside there, bent over, but she couldn't fit clear down in. She was up so that you could see her as soon as I opened it, because it was a pretty small trunk. Most people couldn't even get in it. She's amazing, but she did. And then she came out, and the, the audience went wild. <laughs> and I was so proud. Well, after the trick, we had several magicians come up and congratulate us, told, them, told us they thought it was one of the greatest illusions they'd ever seen. And one guy said, I need that trick. How much for it? And I thought, well... Uh, if he sees how we've got it cobbled together, he will want his money back. <laughs> so I better not sell it because I don't want to give it back. And I said, well, uh, it's not ready for selling. He said, I'll pay you $2,000 cash. I was a student. <laughs> 200 would have been enough to get me really excited. I'll pay you $2,000. And I said, oh, well, you know, this is my main illusion, I, my whole show's built around $10,000. <laughs> Whoa, but he's gonna, when he sees how it works, I have to show him if he buys it. When he sees how it works, he's gonna want it back, so I'm not gonna show him. So this guy, he just wanted this trick so bad, and Bill Larson, the president of Magic Castle, came up to me and he said, Roger, that was an amazing show. We wanna sign you to a permanent contract to work here at the Magic Castle. And that's when my career in science ended, right there. Yeah, it did. I called up my parents, 
and told my dear mother, guess what? I've just been hired in Hollywood as a professional magician, so I'll be dropping out of school. And my sweet mother said, no, you won't. (laughs) 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 Thought it was a free country. (laughs) Anyway, I am so glad that that moment of insanity passed. But magic's been a lot of fun for us. And it helped me get through school because the part that my scholarship didn't pay was our living expenses. And I was able to pay those mostly through our our magical performance. And besides that, it was a lot of fun. So now I have a brand new trick. My magic today is by far the best I've ever had. Mm -hmm. Because now I make really neat illusions. (laughs) The new trunk trick, and I still do that trick, by the way, and I do mainly shows for charity, but the new trunk trick is different. I don't go get it on a cart and roll it out. Mm -mm. I just say, come on and the cart comes driving out all by itself. It's on a little base with these beautiful gold-colored pipes so you can see through underneath it, Mm -hmm. and it comes out and it turns around and the top opens up. Well, my mentor, Don Arthur, who is one of the really famous magicians performed all over the world, was given an honor by uh, Mr. Blackstone, one of the great magicians before him as the doer of wonders and he engraved a special gold wand for him and Don Arthur after he saw my magic he said he was going to pass that wand on to me which he did so I have in a in a frame a gold wand engraved by him the doer of wonders and uh, magic is a lot of fun We should be looking at new technologies like this and looking for the opportunities of how we can use them. Uh, My desire today is to remind us of how important it is, the knowledge that you're harvesting by doing your sales courses. I'm thrilled that this wonderful student was able to get 12 scholarships offers because she decided to do that honors or honors course. Mm-hmm. You just can't think of a better way to, to really make money than learning. And that learning will pay throughout your whole life. It's just so valuable. And in fact, uh, sometimes having that knowledge is a matter of life and death. And to kind of prove that, I'd like to share with you um, uh, another experience that I have enjoyed that uh, really makes the, the learning that we're doing in Acellus. I, I didn't learn it in Acellus. I had to dig it out the old-fashioned way. But I'd like to, like to take you for a little adventure. Now, I have a, a book here. I wonder if we can get on the top camera. You see it says Pilot Log, the standard Pilot Log. And if you look inside here, I have all of the flights log that I've done as a pilot of a private airplane. And this little guy, uh, if, if you can make it out here on the back, are the Wright brothers. And on this side is my name, and the United States of America, this is my pilot's license, something I'm very proud of. And I have really, really enjoyed flying. 
But to fly, you have to learn some things so that you're able to operate the airplane safely. And I want to kind of get into that a little bit and show you some of the value of the knowledge that we're getting in our CELUS courses. So here's a Science Life special. <clears throat> <laughs> this is an airplane, and it's taking off, as you can see, in Kansas City. It's flying to St. Louis. Now, St. Louis isn't really 300 miles away, so I fudged a little bit to make the math easier, okay? So let's say it's 300 miles from Kansas City to St. Louis, and when you get in an airplane and take off, there are a lot of things you do. You pre-flight the airplane to make sure that everything's working properly, and you run through a checklist to make sure you got everything set just right for takeoff. Did you know that it's kind of important to make sure that you have enough fuel to make it to your destination? That's kind of important. And it's kind of important. <laughs> okay. And what's more, one of the regulations of a pilot is that when you get to your destination and land, you're required to have at least a half hour worth of fuel left. So that if you get delayed or something, you know, when you run out, it's hard to find a place to park up there. <laughs> and so uh, you have to have enough fuel to go all the way to your destination and still have a half hour reserve. So in this case, we're talking about an airplane taking off for St. Louis, and we're saying that it's 300 miles, which is, you know, plus or minus 500. <laughs> and the airplane is going to go at a certain speed. So how long will it take to get to St. Louis? Now, let's say that the airplane flies at 100 miles per hour, okay? It's 300 miles. So when you take off, it's going to take three hours to go 300 miles because 100 divided into 300 miles hmm, is three hours. So my airplane had three and a half hours of fuel. I'm going to fly three hours before I land, so I end up with one half hour of fuel and everything's perfect. And for that, you, you probably don't even need to know very much math, do you? So we'll give that to you <laughs> to hold, okay? You're not implying anything. But now, now, <laughs> okay. now it gets a little bit more complicated. Look at this one. We're still in Kansas City, still going to St. Louis. We have an airplane that goes 100 miles per hour, except this time we have a headwind. So that means we have a wind blowing directly towards the airplane. Now, airplanes are flying through air. So if the air is moving, the airplane's moving with the air. And so you have to subtract the speed of the wind from the speed you're going. So this plane flies at 100 miles per hour, but it has a wind pushing it back 50 miles an hour. So the actual progress that it makes towards St. Louis is 100 minus 50. It makes 50 miles per hour of progress because of that wind. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so that means we've got to go 300 miles. We're crossing the ground at 50 miles an hour. It'll take six hours to get there, which means the plane crashes right there. So in other words, 
if I could not do this problem to figure out how much that wind's going to slow me down, it could be very dangerous. Yeah. It could be very dangerous. Mm -hmm. And by the way, demonstrating that you have the ability to figure this out is what you have to do to be able to pass ground school before you can take your flying test to get your license. Okay, well, this problem can be solved with arithmetic. You can just add and subtract the speeds to be able to figure this out. But now here comes the truth about the real world. Headwinds, once in a blue moon, are going to be coming straight in front of you. <laughs> Most of the time, they're going to be coming from other places. Before we look at that, I want to show you another example. What if the wind, instead of coming right at your nose, what if the wind is blowing from behind you, straight behind you? Then you get something like this. Now we've got a 50 mile an hour tailwind. We're going 100 miles an hour. So we're, we're flying 100 miles per hour through the air, but the air is moving 50. So we're covering the ground at 150 miles an hour, which means we can be here in two hours. So the wind is pretty important. And again, with arithmetic, we can solve that because look at that. The tailwind is blowing perfectly the same direction the airplane's going, right? And like I say, you may, once in your lifetime, experience where the wind's blowing exactly towards you or away from you, okay? But what happens almost all the time is the wind is blowing from off of the side. So in this case, we're still going 100 miles an hour, but we have a headwind, only in this case, it's a crosswind blowing towards the airplane, trying to push the airplane off. So we point the airplane straight at St. Louis and we start flying, but as we fly, the wind keeps pushing us off to the side. And so we end up down here instead of at St. Louis. And now you can't solve this problem with simple addition and subtraction. And all of a sudden you start getting into things like geometry and trigonometry. And if you know geometry and trig, you can solve these problems and, and get the ground school quite easily. If you don't, Oh my goodness, a lot of pilots use a little calculator to calculate this, but I always thought it's better if you really, really understand it. Here's kind of an interesting thing. You don't want to end up down here, so what do you do in this airplane to make sure you end up at the target and you don't go down here? Now you're pointed right at the, you're flying right at the target, but you're going off course because the wind keeps pushing you down. Well, what you could do is you could have the airplane turn so that it's pointed this way. You see that? I am now demonstrating my artistic skills, <laughs> and you know why I went into magic rather than art, <laughs> right? Okay. So you turn the airplane into the wind, and you turn it just the right amount, and the airplane will point that way, but will go straight down the line to St. Louis. But when it does so, it will take longer because this wind is blowing you off course and you have to make up for that. And so you must be able to calculate exactly how much time it will take to make sure 
you have enough fuel. Knowledge is power. And over and over and over and over are you able to use that knowledge to accomplish the things you want to do in life. And it's, it's been my experience that very often something I learned completely unrelated to what I'm doing, like my recording studio experience with the differential microphone, solved my problem with the hydrogen engine of backfiring the wrong cylinder. We talked about that a few episodes ago. It's, it's knowledge. It's power. Power to figure out what's going on. Power to figure out how to get around it. Mm -hmm. Power to make the world better for all of us. So, I would like to now perform a gesture of kindness. <laughs> oh. Indeed it. Yeah. Sit down. <laughs> or, or number one, okay? I have done a gesture of kindness because I know that Peugeot is filling heaviness on her heart because of the disappearance of R51. We're getting a lot of comments wondering if he's been found or spotted or... Well, I, I will say, all of you that helped him get out with oh. those silly petitions, shame on you. Yeah, shame and, on you. And uh, we still do not know where he is. We've had a few reports of sightings. Um, oh, yeah? Yeah, do you want to see him? Of course. Okay, let's just... Christina, could you go ahead and show us Are the reports on that? Mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> <laughs> he's really just kind of, he's been spotted, huh? There's something wrong with that one. They want yeah. to know if you're going to make a Peugeot android, a P51. Do you really think I should? Me or them? Some, some of my personal advisors have warned me that this world can probably only handle one Peugeot. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Was would I be that kind advisor? of fun, though. <laughs> but just think about it. A mm -hmm. Android Peugeot. I don't think we need hmm. one of those, by the way. You know? I really don't. would be kind of fun, wouldn't it? <laughs> just think, maybe we could duplicate them off and send one to all the students, and everybody would be social. <laughs> <laughs> what a wonderful world it would be. Mm, yeah, maybe. I'll have to look into that. But meanwhile, on behalf of the students and myself, so like my to gift? donate Science this Science. wonderful gift to you. Thank you. I want to you. thank you for being so social and kind and helping us all. And yeah. with, with that oh. delivery of this wonderful gift that's making you feel so much better, I will tell you <laughs> that I have been getting a lot of requests for a new social course. So you gave me this to tell me that? <laughs> that's to butter you up. Yeah. You want to back it up? <laughs> Yeah, so oh. I'm on, on, on camera here. I'm going to ask you if we can, you know, we, we would, we would re speaking for us, we would really like to have another social course. You know, when I took your earlier social courses, I, I felt better. Yeah. I, was, I was noticeably nicer. Mm. <laughs> and 
And what's happened, for some reason, is kind of begun to erode, and I'm starting to get grumpy again. <laughs> I need a little social reboot. Maybe we should make it different this time. Okay. Would you guys like it different this time? Yeah. Different how? Just different. <laughs> All right. Different. We'll take. Okay? Okay. We do have a question, though. Okay. Um, there it will cost you <laughs> one course. The question, for, the question from Kennedy? I will do me? the question if you'll do the course for Kennedy. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, she wants to know if she can take AP classes after she's received her SALS diploma. Absolutely. You can, did, can definitely can continue that. to take courses. Uh, well, that's a real good question. And um, that's something I haven't thought of before. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm starting to really think about it. It seems like maybe we ought to make an arrangement, a special arrangement for alumni, for graduates. Don't you think so? Mm -hmm. So that they can take some more courses. Would you like to? I think so. I think that'd really be fun. I'm also uh, thinking about a request that came in from some of our parents, where the parents wanted to take the courses. Some wanted to take the math courses so that they could learn the newer ways of teaching math to help their kids. Others just wanted to, to learn. So I'm thinking we need a special thing for parents and for alumni. Um, that, that's a wonderful challenge and something I would like to take on. Uh, learning should be a lifelong process and we should learn and learn and learn. In fact, I, I'm ready to publicly commit myself to learning more social, <laughs> of course. So what if this next course was a little more me? We don't have a next course. That's the whole <laughs> problem. A little more me? Yeah, a little more me. Mm. All right, that would be a good thing to comment on. If you think there's too much me in the social courses, <laughs> say, I don't know, just kind of tone it down mm -hmm. a bit. If you'd like to see more me in the mm -hmm. social, what, what is me? Well, well <laughs> so we got comments sometimes that I'm a lot more lively on Science Live than I am in my course. So I'm wondering if <laughs> a little more me. <laughs> so uh, I'm not as boring. <laughs> who, who is your director when you film? Which Caleb? Time? Yeah, Caleb was last yeah, time. Yeah, where is Caleb? Caleb, can we see you? Where is he? He's coming out of Come the out of there. Back. Inside. We remember Caleb. Can we get him on one of these cameras? Oh, wave at us, man. How you doing? Say hi. Wait, wait. Here he comes. <laughs> so, if we get her to film again, will you help us out? And can you get her to be more me? I mean, more of her. Okay. That'd be all right? You'll do it? All right. Let's hear it for Caleb. Yeah. Social and say yes. I'll be that. Social. Mm -hmm. See that positive attitude? <laughs> you notice when we came in today, her attitude was kind of on the edge, and then as she got control, that's what we need. We need to be taught to do that because that's how I want to be from right. here on out. Here on out. Mm -hmm. Here on <laughs> okay. out. Okay, well, thank you, everyone. Please, please study hard. Uh, I notice more and more students are starting to look at the honors path. Remember, if you're getting 90% or more in your course in your younger grades, you're on the honors path. 
Uh, Acellus is made so that you can learn quicker than any other way that we know of, but learning is still hard work. And when you master this material, you own a great asset. It's like gold in the brain. That's why we have the gold credits, okay? If you will go the extra mile and do the honors way, you'll have many, many doors. You'll have opportunities at universities if you decide to become a university student. But I'll tell you what, I've hired a lot of, a lot of people in my various companies, and anyone that's gone the extra mile in school impresses me. If there's a student that's done that and one that hasn't, I'm gonna take the one that has because I know what kind of person that is. All right, we'll see you next time. Stay warm. Bye-bye.